Yes? Book of John, chapter 14, please. John 14. Continuing going through John. All right. John chapter 14. Let's read uh, the end of verse 12 through 14. John 12. Um, Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, John 14, 12. At the end of the verse, he says, I go unto my father. So he's getting ready to leave. And he says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the father may be glorified in the son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus Christ, just to recap a little bit of last week, Jesus Christ is preparing to ascend that heavenly mountain, right? He's getting ready to go up to that Mount Zion up there in heaven on the sides of the north, and he's going to become their high priest. And I see that because he's saying, I'm going to leave. And the next thing he starts talking about is praying. And uh, Jesus Christ is alluding to the ministry of prayer he was about to take up as their high priest, their intercessor, their mediator between God and men. Now, the disciples had always known about prayer, right? I mean, you read in Luke 11, Jesus Christ teaches them to pray. You read in Matthew 6, Jesus Christ teaches the disciples how to pray. And the Jewish nation had always had a high priest, all the way back from the first high priest, Aaron, Moses' brother, all the way up through Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time of Christ. So prayer was not a new thing, and, and a high priest was not a new thing. But in John 14, 14, he's saying, if he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. See, he's saying, when I finish this atonement, when I finish this work that God has given me to do, you're going to have now, disciples, a new privilege in prayer a new access in prayer, a new mediator in prayer, a new uh, promise of prayer because of me. So that's the difference. That's the new thing that Jesus Christ is bringing to his people. And if you want to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, we looked at the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews speaks much about the new high priest Jesus Christ would be for his people. And I had said last time, that the book of Hebrews gives us eight modifiers to describe Jesus Christ as our high priest. And it's interesting that it's eight because eight is the number of a new beginning. So the book of Hebrews, that speaks a lot about our high priest, Jesus Christ, gives us eight things about him and how he would be different and better than any high priest that went before him. And we looked last time at how he'd be a merciful high priest and faithful high priest. And if you look at verses chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we're going to see the next attribute of our high priest I'd like to explore today by his grace. 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to talk about today about Jesus Christ, our great high priest. You see, verse 14 calls him our great high priest. Great means he's really good. I mean, there are a lot of basketball players out there. I know my son's got his and his friends got their little fantasy basketball team and who's got Luca and who's got, you know, who's got KD and who's got, you know, LeBron and who's got this one, and who's got that one. And there's a lot of basketball players in the association, something like 300 basketball players in the NBA, but only a few of them can be said to be great basketball players. And there have been a lot of high priests to Israel from Aaron all the way up to Caiaphas and beyond. But only Jesus Christ can be called our great high priest. So I'd like to talk to you about what makes Jesus Christ such a great high priest. And hopefully it will compel you to want to talk to him more. <laughs> you know, to want to come to him more. To want to have a closer relationship with him more. And to not be afraid to pour out your problems to his feet. Because he's a great high priest to bring those petitions to God. So let's pray and then we'll jump on in. Lord, we love you today. Thank you that you're that great high priest that we can approach God the Father in your name. 
And we pray, Lord, that someone today, if they're not saved, might call upon you as Savior. But, Lord, I suspect that most people might know you, Father, and I pray those that do know you, starting with me, might be willing to call upon you as long as we live, because when we see how great a high priest, how great an intercessor you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just, I have two points here that made sense in my head just from the text, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, about why Jesus Christ is so great. And the verses kind of say them to us. So let's start with verse 14. Number one, I want to say, Jesus Christ is our great high priest because there is no one higher. Okay? Jesus Christ is our great high priest because there is no one higher. Look at 414. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. You see that? How high Jesus Christ is literally? He's up there in the heavens. Jesus Christ passed the first heaven. That's where the birds fly. You can go into the first heaven. Just get on a plane. You could go around the first heaven. Then he went into the second heaven. He passed into the second heaven. That's outer space. You know what? There are a few people that have done that. They get up there in a spaceship, a rocket ship. And, you know, Elon Musk and, you know, uh, uh, what's the guy? Amazon guy. What's, uh, What's the Amazon guy? What Bezos, right? Good old Mr. Bezos. He wants to, you know, get people up on a rocket ship as well and kind of do tours up there in the second heaven. But nobody but Jesus Christ was able to go from the first heaven to the second heaven and then bust through that celestial river up there and enter into the heaven of heavens. The third heaven where God abides, the throne room of God. Jesus Christ has passed into the heavens. He went up right into the presence of God to be at the right hand of the Father for you. And notice his name in that verse. you got to watch the titles given to Jesus. They're instructive. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus. Jesus is his earthly name. Because he was a man, right? We have friends named Jesus, Jesus, right? Jesus is his earthly name. So it says, Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God is his heavenly designation because he was God manifest in the flesh. So watch how his names roll out here. They illustrate what they're trying to say, if you can follow me. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the one that started on earth, the Son of God, the one who is ruling in heaven. You got it? Jesus, the man who is the Son of God, the divine God-man. That earth to heaven, our great high priest went from earth to To heaven, no other high priest could do that, right? No other high priest could just go from earth to heaven like Jesus Christ went. Jesus, the man on earth, the son of God, that prince of glory, that prince of heaven, that's his name. Every other high priest that ever lived in the office of high priest died. No other high priest did that. Other high priests would go down but not get back up. Jesus Christ came down, but he got up. He passed into the heavens. All the other high priests that you could mention and all the other priests that you could think of, they're all going to die like you're going to die and not get up without God doing something. Look at uh, Deuteronomy, don't go there, but Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 talks about Aaron, the first high priest. It says, and Aaron died as great as he was, as close to ground zero as he was. He died. He passed away. He croaked. He kicked the bucket. It says in Joshua 24, 33, you don't have to flip there, and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him. See, all these high priests, they died. But look at Hebrews chapter 7. Let me see show you something peculiar about your high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 23. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Why is he a great high priest? Because there's nobody higher. Hebrews 7, 23, it says, and they truly were many priests. There were a lot of priests after Eleazar, Phinehas and Caiaphas, and you could, you could follow history and see all the different high priests that were intercessors for the nation of Israel. And it says, and they were truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So when this high priest died, you know what you had to do? You had to get another one. And when that high priest died, you know what you had to do? You had to get another one. And when that one died, you know what you had to do. You had to get another one. So there were a lot of them because those priests had one thing in common. They all 
croaked. They all died. They are all sinless, or sinful, I should say, right? And maybe you have your old church, your old parish in your mind, and guess what? When the Monsignori died, you know what they had to do? They had to get another one. And when Father McGillicuddy died, you know what they had to do? They had to get another one. You know why? Because they're sinful men like you and me. Jesus Christ had no sin to account for. So he, he died for us, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay down, right? Keep reading. It says, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, meaning Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now watch this. Wherefore, he is able, amen, I'm not able, you're not able, but he is able. Say, I don't know how to do this, Pat. I don't either, but he does. <laughs> I don't know how to get out of this fix I'm in. Me neither, but he does. I don't know how to crawl out from this pit that I found myself sinking into. Me neither, but he does. He is able to save them to the uttermost. As far gone as you think you are, you're not too far gone for the outstretched hand of my great high priest. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Yeah, wherever you are, whenever you are, however you are, guess what? Because Jesus Christ continues forever, guess what? He can reach whoever, whenever, however. Why? Because he's eternal life. He's never going to sign off. He's never going to step away from the office. He doesn't need a 15-minute lunch break while he's doing his high priest duties. He's always praying for us. He's always interceding for us. He's there right now. You just got to call upon him. There's no one higher to call upon. He's all the way up there. Jesus Christ is the only high priest who got up from the grave after they buried him. They buried Eleazar and his body rotted. The worms, as Pastor Mel used to joke, and the worms went in and the worms went out. That's what Pastor Mel would joke around and say. And that's what happened to all these great men of God, right? And that's what happened to all the great men of God. That's what happened to me. If I drop right now or I get in a car accident, <laughs> right? You know what? Guess what's going to happen? The worms are going to go in and the worms are going to go out. And I'm going to be pushing up daisies. Jesus Christ went down and he got back up. There's nobody higher. There's nobody higher that you could speak to, appeal to, reach out to. He's our great high priest. You can't keep a good man down, they say, and death could not keep our great high priest down. Amen? Look at, uh, it's kept everybody else down, but it can't keep him down. Couldn't keep him down. Hebrews 7, look at verse 15. Don't get sad because the weather's a little gray. I know the last couple of days have been so beautiful, but you're a little, you're a little subdued today, so it's okay. I'll let you have this Sunday because it's a little rainy and a little gray, but try to get excited in your heart about this great high priest who's up there right now, praying for you right now, interceding for you right now, looking to take your call right now. He ever liveth to make intercession. That's great. That's greatness. You know, I might burn the midnight oil and I get tired and I need to recharge. I need to step away. I can't work 168 hours a week. That's how many hours are in a week, by the way. I can't work 168 hours a week. Some of you get close, but I can't work 168 hours a week. But Jesus Christ works 168 hours a week, seven days a week, 20, 52 weeks a year, all the time. He's always interceding. He's always praying. He's always there. That's a great high priest. 715. 7.15, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, meaning Moses' law, but after the power of an endless life. Every other high priest ministry ended when they died. They had no power once they died. Jesus Christ's power as a high priest comes from the fact that he never, ever died. He never ceased to exist. He's never going to push up daisies. He ever liveth. That's where the power comes from. Now, in the Old Testament, if you know your Bible at all, don't say amen because you might, I don't know if you do, but I'm joking. In the Old Testament, they set up these cities of refuge. Like, let's say 
you, you know, you, you, it says if you killed somebody unawares, let's say you were chopping wood and the axe head flew off and like hit somebody and killed them, and it was like what we call today manslaughter, right? Not murder. Murder involves intent and premeditation and maliciousness, right? That's different. God said the murderer should surely be put to death, okay? You got that? The murderer should surely be put to death. That's God saying capital punishment is biblical, okay? And the Old Testament and the New Testament is talked about and approved of. It's a great deterrent, all right? So God knows what he was doing. So he says, the murderer shall surely be put to death. You shed man's blood, you should have your blood shed. That's Bible. That's in the book of Acts. That's in the book of Genesis. That's all over the Bible. That's a biblical precept. Not getting political, I'm getting biblical. So that's one thing. But let's say something happens, right? And you didn't have any intent. Something happens, like the ax head falls off and this manslaughter. God set up these cities of refuge that that person could flee to as a way of escape. Because guess what? If you're chopping wood in my backyard and the ax head falls off and you kill my daughter, guess what? I'm going to want to kill you back. It's, I'm sorry, it was an accident. I don't care. I'm going to see red. I'm going to grab that ax head. I want to shove it down your throat. And you know, like that rage of a man, the Bible says there's that rage of a man. And so I could flee or that manslaughter person could flee to that city of refuge and they would stay in that city of refuge and be safe until the death of the high priest. Once the high priest died, all bets were off. Now, do you see the application? Because you have a place that you can flee to, a place you can resort to in the New Testament. You can flee for refuge because your high priest never dies. You can flee to God because he never dies. Jesus Christ is never going to die and say, okay. My mercy's up because I'm going to die now. No, you can come to God, flee to God, find that strong tower all the time because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's a great high priest. Go to John chapter three. Go to John chapter three. John chapter three. That means, and I don't want to be insulting, I'm just going to be biblical. That means every other so-called priest that you may know that calls himself or herself a priest is disqualified from being your mediator because that person is going to die. God's mediator lives forever. God's high priest lives forever. The one that God said you have to go to is the one that defeated death and lives forever. Why would I go to anyone that's going to die like I'm going to die? Are you thinking? I can see some smoke coming out of your ears. Hopefully you're thinking. The Bible says he is able to save them. Not me or not you or not anybody else, no matter how they're dressed. They can't save you. They can't absolve you. They can't bring you to God. Only the one that God approved and God approved Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. The Bible says God ordained that that man was the one that God favored because he raised him from the dead, Acts 17. So if you want the priest that'll bring you to God, you got to get to the priest that God said, I approve of, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, how do I know we approve of him? Because the tomb is empty. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's got the power of an endless life so you could flee to refuge when you need to because he never dies and he never passes off. What a Savior's right. John chapter 3, verse 12. Look what Jesus says here. <clears throat> if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now there's a lot of, in that verse to make your head spin. Because he's saying, nobody ever went up to heaven by themselves because, except me who came down, who's also in heaven right now. So you're like, I, 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 you know, you're meant to experience. I, they're talking to him right there, but he's like, I'm still sitting up there. When you figure that out, let me know. But... That's kind of like you. If you're in Christ, I'm staring at you right now, Johnny Murphy, but Ephesians 2 says you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. So you're down here in the flesh, but you're still sitting up there in Christ. So Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm right here in front of you, but I'm still right up there. When you figure it out, let me know, but that's a pretty great man that could say something like that. And he's saying nobody else could ascend. You could work on your twitch response and you know, just you know, work on your jumping all you want. Guess what? You're not going to ascend up. Right, you can do your little twit, your, your little jump protocols, and I'm gonna, you know, you know, my 16-week jump training program, and maybe you'll get be able to jump over the curb, but you're not gonna be able to ascend up to heaven. 
Nobody's got the power. No man hath ascended. No man could lift himself up off the earth, but Jesus Christ could. Listen, no man can lift himself off the earth because of gravity, right? We got gravity dragging us down. What if? This is just a what if, a wild what if. No one understands what gravity is, by the way. They say gravity, but they're like, what is it? You know, it's gravity. Oh, it's just, you know, gravity. You know, what, what goes up, you know, there you go. Got a pen. What goes up must go down, right? It's the law of gravity. Where the law came from, they won't tell you that either. But they don't really understand gravity totally. Where does it come from? They have speculations and ideas. But what if, what if, what if, what if, what if sin is that weight that's holding you down? How come Jesus Christ could just ascend, but no man could ascend because we're all as an unclean thing? What if, what if I'm just, you know, the scientists are like, well, Pat, what it is, it's the magnetic force and it's the blah, blah, blah. I get it, but what if what it really is is the fact that you got sin in you it's keeping you stuck to this earth and you've got to get that sin put down. And once you put that sinful body down, you could fly. You could rise again with Jesus Christ. So what if Jesus Christ could sit there and say, hey, no man hath ascended because all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, but I got no sin to count. So when it's my time, I'm just going to lift up and lift off and rise up off this place. What if Jesus Christ could ascend into the heavens because he had no sin holding him down? Look at Romans chapter 1. That's just a speculation. You can correct me later or thank me later, whichever one comes first. Romans 1, verse 1. Romans 1, 1. Romans 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, O Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is God's declaration that Jesus Christ had no sin, that Jesus Christ is, was, and forever will be holy. Because when you die and all those other high priests die, they had sins of their own to count and they drop and they get buried and they'd stay down. Jesus Christ went down and God said, oh, I could raise him up. Because he's got no sins to count. He's got no sins of his own. So God's declaring by that empty tomb that Jesus Christ is the only sinless man that ever walked the face of the earth. He's the only holy man that could qualify as your great high priest. Because he's sinless. What other name could you possibly call upon to get to God? Do you see now how ridiculous it is to approach in any other name? And I'm trying so hard not to be rude or crude or like brash. I'm not trying to be brash because I was religious too before I got saved. I was baptized too before I got saved. I received the sacraments too before I got saved. I was an altar boy too before I got saved. But all those things couldn't save me. And me saying that to you is not trying to be insulting. It's like you standing on a plane with a fork. Oh, this will save me. The plane's going down. Okay, I got a tray table. No, uh, the plane's going down. All right, I got this bag of peanuts that they gave me on the flight. No, you need the parachute. That's the only thing that could save you. <laughs> You're going to jump from this life to the next. Nothing else is going to save you. Only Jesus Christ could save you. I'm saying, do you have him? Do you have him? He's that high priest. He's the one that could take us to God. What other name could you possibly call upon to get to God if there's nobody higher than the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean... Every other high priest is a sinner. And when he died, he died for his own sins and his ministry ended. Jesus Christ is sinless. He died for our sins. And when he died, his ministry began. You understand when he died, his ministry as high priest began. It didn't end. It was just getting started. That's why Acts 4 says there is none other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. That is not arrogance. That is the word of God. Right? If he's the only one that could defeat death because he's sinless, there's nobody else that you could call upon to bring you to God. That's why God said that's the one name to save you. But listen, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must pray. We're not praying or seeking in any other name as well. The same name that saved us is the same name that helps us. Do you see how insulting to the Father 
it must be to ask any other priest to save you and wash your sins away? It's insulting to him. I know we're conditioned in the Northeast, and many of us are Italian, and we got all that you know, religion mixed up in our culture, and to say this almost seems like I'm being brash and rude. I'm trying not to. But I grew up, and many of you did. You walked into a little room, right? It used to freak me out, you know, and this, you're in this dark room, and they slid this little box over, and you saw the profile of this guy, and you were like, I've been so naughty this week. I took candy from the store, and I disobeyed my parents, and I'm not going to really tell you the really bad stuff, because this is weird. <laughs> Amen, Brother Pat. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you told them everything. I didn't tell them everything. I have my approved list of things. I lied. I cursed. I kicked my dog. Um, I didn't go to church. You know, okay, son, you know. And then they started the face-to-face confession. Right, that was even weirder. Now I don't have the little box and the dark profile. Now it's like, hey, I'm staring at you right there. Or he's going to turn his back around. I'm not going to tell anything to make him look. You did what? Like, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. So you sit there across from him, you know. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six years since my last confession. And I'm only here because I go to Catholic school and they make me go before the high holy days. So here I am and... uh, I, I lied, I took an extra gobstopper from the class jar, and uh, I kicked my dog again. Okay, you know, that, that's what we would do, right? How many people did that, right? right? And then he would do some magic stuff, and he would say he absolved you of your sins and, and pro- pronounce that absolution, just say three Hail Marys, cross your heart three times, hope not to die, whatever he did. And it was crazy to think that. Now, I, I know some of you are insulted. You're not coming back. All right, I love you. It's just, I'm not trying to insult you. But I mean, if you slow down and take like the tradition out of that, just look at it rationally from God's perspective, God would be sitting up there in heaven going, what? What is, what are you doing? God's not in a box. God's on a throne. He's not down there in that sinful man. He's up here at my right hand. What are you doing talking to him when you could be talking to me? What are you doing asking him to absolve you when I got the one with the blood stained, you know, with the, with the nail pierced hands that could absolve you, right? He's the great high priest. He's the one you got to get to. He's the one that ever liveth. That's not insulting. I'm just trying to reason with you. I'm just trying to be rational with you. I'm just trying to be, un- if I went out today and walked outside and I went to McDonald's across 34 and I wanted a Big Mac. And I walked up to the glass window and just started tapping the glass window and said, give me a Big Mac, give me a Big Mac. You say, you can't do that. You got to go to the kiosk. You got to go to the kiosk. No, I'm just going to talk to this brick wall over here and it's going to give me a Big Mac. You'd say, oh man, there's something wrong with him. But how many people are going to walk into a room somewhere and talk to a man that's a sinner like them and expect them to give them absolution when God's up there in heaven. No, you got to talk to my son. You got to talk to my son. He's the one that's got the goods. He's the one that could feed your soul. He's the one that could save you. That, it's insulting to God. It's absurd to God. God must look there in heaven and go, oh man, how far they've come from what I told them. It's absurd. And do you see how insulting to the father it must be to trust any other priest to help you? Because you know? we Christians, we can laugh at the people in religion, but that's not right because we're just as dumb. We trust ourselves. I could do it. I could do it. You know, God, I'll do it. I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to seek. I'm not going to meditate. I'm not going to fast. I don't need you. God, get other people. You know, I'm thankful that I'm not as other men are. You know, extortioners, unjust, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And God says, you are just as much a fool as the lost man. You don't realize, you know what the Laodicean church doesn't realize? How wretched and miserable and poor and blind and knackered she is. The Laodicean church is marked by self-sufficiency. That's the trademark of the church of the last days. Hey God, I got this. I got the tracks, we got the tent, we got the money, we got the this, we got the that. And God's like, but you need me. Right? God uses men weak and humble enough to lean on him. How insulting to the father must be when his own people lean on their own devices, lean on their own understanding. I think there's a verse about not leaning on your own understanding, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think there is. Right? Some of you put it in a card for me once. Proverbs 3, 5, right? Like one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And that's a great verse for somebody else except you. 
You put it in a car for somebody else, but then when the stuff hits the proverbial fan in your life, you go into damage control mode. <laughs> hey, did you stop and pray about it? I don't got time for that. I'm in damage control mode. You know, we're calling this one and texting that one. And hey, why don't you stop and seek the one that knows what's going on? That's insulting to God too. God's like, yo, son, you you died for them, but I guess they don't think you can help them with, you know, the sick grandma or the troubled heart or the problems at home or the financial stress. Like, I guess, I guess you're not big enough for that, God, Jesus. That's what it's like to him. It's what it's like to him. He's looking at his son in his right hand and then you're trying everything under the sun, but reaching out to God and reaching out to him, it's just as insulting as a lost man praying to a dumb idol. It's just as insulting. Listen, when a case is heard before the Supreme Court, there is no higher authority to seek. <laughs> Once that thing goes to SCOTUS, there's nobody else to go to. There's no, you know, Hebrew national is not above the Supreme Court, right? That's the highest authority in the land. And if you bring your petitions to Jesus Christ in Jesus' name, there's no higher authority you can appeal to. There's no higher help you can get. You've got a pass and access to bring your case before the Supreme Court of Heaven to your advocate, Jesus Christ. You can bring it right to Him. You don't have to deal with the lower courts. You don't have to deal with all the district appeals. You can go right into the throne room and bring your petitions before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a great high priest. Listen, if I love my sons, my daughter, guess what? You can always get my attention if you mention their name. You mention my son's name, you mention my daughter's name, guess what? That'll get, that'll get my attention. And if the Son of God is the only one who really pleases the Father, you need to approach in his name. Amen. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How dare you approach in any other name? Because God says, that's the one I'm interested in. He's the great high priest because there's nobody higher. And number two, go to Hebrews chapter four again. <clears throat> Make sense so far? Amen. I know I'm going to see 75 people on the prayer meeting Tuesday. I know, you're welcome, right? <laughs> but, at least, but at least make it your private devotion, man. Private prayer is perhaps the most forgotten, lost thing dangerously thin. But I want to say number two, Jesus Christ is our great high priest because there is no one higher. Hallelujah. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest because there is no one who went any lower. There's nobody higher and there's nobody who went any lower for you. You see, it's right there in the verses, 414. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Fifteen, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In verse number 14, we see that only Jesus Christ was worthy to ascend that heavenly mountain to be our high priest, because in verse number 15, only Jesus Christ was willing to descend into the lower parts of the earth to be our high priest. Nobody went any lower. Now we're entering into this, oh, the next year is going to be a wild political circle. Isn't it going to be? Right? November always gets a little crazy. The signs go up. Vote for this one. I don't even know who I'm voting for anymore. School board, this board, that. Okay. But next year, if there's a next year, and this presidential thing really heats up, it's going to be crazy. Right? Like Brother Maurice would say in Haiti, crazy, brother. It's going to be crazy. Oh, and all these politicians, you know what they do? They pretend to be like you so they can justify making you their slaves. That's what they're all about. They just want to slither in there, you know, I'm just like you, you know. I feel your pain. Right? They're just going to slither in just like you and try to, you know, wear the construction hat on the construction site. These guys born with a silver spoon in their mouth that never pushed a piece of wood in their life want to roll up their sleeves on that picture that gets put in the mail. Like, you know, oh, yeah, that's where the I-beam should go. You don't even know what an I-beam is. But, you know, you're on that because they want to look like you. They want to seem like you. They want to look, why? So they can slither right in there and steal your liberty, steal your money, steal your prosperity, and just be their ruling class over you. That's what they're all about. They just want to make you their slaves. Then you talk to them on the street. Oh, get away from me. Hey, you're supposed to be working for me, buddy. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're charlatans. They're hypocrites. They're liars. Hey, ask the governor to wash your feet when this world gets, gets you dirty. The Savior did. 
God in the flesh did. Ask Governor Murphy or Governor Hochul. I got some New Yorkers here. Ask sir, ask them. Hey, man, I just, I've been walking in this world and my feet are dirty. Would you wash them? You get shot before you get within 10 feet of that person. Ask the president to wipe your face after he's done wiping his face. But ask the president to wipe you. He's got some ice cream on it. But ask the president to wipe your face when this world makes you sick. Hey, Joe, president, I got something over here. Could you help me? I got, I got sustain. You're not even going to know which way to look, right? He's not looking to wipe your face. He doesn't care about you. You know what the leaders of this world want? They want a photo op. You know what Jesus Christ did? He was touched with the feeling. Big difference. The leaders of the world want a photo op. They want to look like they're there with you. Remember after Sandy, right? They, they all come down in their suits, you know, and just like watch people carrying stuff in and out of the trucks, you know. And we, some of us went around into basements and knocked out sheetrock and, you know, fixed stuff up and people got dirty. They never got dirty. They roll out a plastic tarp and they're walking on a plastic tarp in their little, you know, emergency unit there. They never had a lift of finger. And some of them, wait, is there is cameras over here? They picked up a bottle of water. <laughs> Jesus Christ, when nobody was watching and nobody cared, jumped into the pit. Right? Nobody went any lower. He didn't just want a photo op, Jesus Christ. He wasn't just posing. He was touched with the feeling. He felt the feeling of our infirmities. Go to Psalm 138. I know I'm stepping all kinds of toes, but somebody's got to tell the truth. <laughs> somebody's got to tell the truth. I mean, what has happened in this country, the people in the people's house are ruling like lords. And uh, I think they forgot who they worked for. Uh, but but that's, that's the way of the game. That's what happened in Israel. The Sadducees and the Pharisees ruled over men. And when they should have been the servants of God's people, they were ruling over God's people. It's just history is doomed to repeat itself. And in Psalm 138, verse 6, look what the Bible says. Though the Lord be high, right? There's nobody higher. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Put your name in there. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. These politicians, try calling them up when you got a problem. See if you get, get, can't get past their staffers when you need to speak to them. Try to speak to Donald Trump or Joe Biden, whoever else it is. Just name them all. Republicans and Democrats, red and blue, donkeys and elephants. See when you're really in a jam if they really care two cents about you. And the Bible says right there that Jesus Christ, even though he's high, he respects the lowly. Thank you, Lord. He, you say, man, Lord, I'm in trouble. He says, all right, I'll revive you. I'll help you. I'm not going to forsake the work of my hands. That's a great high priest. That's a great man. That's a great God. That's a great Savior. The most high God is willing to get low for sinners like us. And that doesn't impress you. That doesn't knock your socks off. That doesn't make you go, wow, maybe I should try this praying thing that everybody's talking about, that all the great men of God are talking about. Listen, I was impressed when CJ's oncologist called my house. Wow, he called my house. Wow, Dr. Shuka called the house and he spent all the time I needed to speak with me on the phone. Wow. I was amazed when I was an 18-year-old idiot waiting on the set of Donnie Brasco to meet Al Pacino. That was me. Went down to the Great Kills Marina up there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and had my little book with a picture of Al Pacino in it. And when he came out of his trailer, I started screaming, Attica, Attica, because if you know Dog Day Afternoon, that was his big movie. I liked that movie. I'm screaming. He turned around, he pumped his fist. And when he finished shooting, he came out and he hugged everybody and he gave us his autograph. You know what? I was amazed when Al Pacino left the set to autograph my book. And some of you now are like, oh, that's so nice of him. Wow. That's really. Johnny Depp was weird. He ran away. He's weird. I think he was. He needed a parlay. But, you know, he ran away. And when Al Pacino came out, hey, uh, you know, and we are like, oh, wow, what a nice guy. I remember being in Taekwondo. I've told this story. And the Grandmaster, Buquan Park, who was one of the people that helped General Che devise the system known as Taekwondo. And I'm at this grading, and I'm watching this Grandmaster on his hands and knees fixing my foot gear. 
And I was impressed by that. And we can't get impressed by the God-man who got down into the lowest hell for you. You get more impressed with like a baseball player that does a -a make-a-wish photo op than the savior of the world that went to hell and back for you. You see how messed up we are in the head? How screwed up we are in the head? We'll be like, oh, that was so nice of Al Pacino. You know, to come out there like that. It was so late. He was filming for so long and he just... But Jesus Christ comes down out of heaven and walks the streets of Jerusalem and washes some dirty disciples' feet. And we're like, oh, when's he going to be done? We're messed up. We're messed up. I'm messed up. Because there's nobody greater than Jesus Christ. That's a great high priest that you and your problem could seek him out. Somebody said, the measure of a man's greatness is not the number of servants he has, but the number of people he serves. Right? Now go to Psalm 113. Let me show you another verse. Psalm 113. Something else about this great high priest. Psalm 113, look at it, verse number 4. <clears throat> Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations. You hear that, UN? The Lord is high above all nations. Have your little councils, have your little soirees, make your little... You ain't shaping global policy. The heavens do rule. Right? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Right? You guys, you're plotting and you're cajoling. And I, we know what's going to happen. We know they're going to turn against that little nation. We know they're going to take that little nation Israel and try to like strong arm them and make them seem like the villain of the world. And God's up there going, really? Watch this. Right? And um, it says right there, he's high above all nations and his glory above the heavens Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. (laughs) Jesus Christ is our great high priest because he was willing to get down to lift us up. And if a priest's job is to bring you to God, then Jesus Christ had to go where you were, jump into the pit of your own miry clay to rescue you and bring you to God. How far down would you go to bring somebody else to God? How low did Jesus Christ go? That's why you could see Paul say, I could wish that myself were accursed for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You could see that spirit of Christ in the apostle Paul willing to even go to hell for his nation because that's the spirit of Christ that was willing to go to hell to rescue you. Somebody said, sin came through the pride of Lucifer and salvation came through the humility of Jesus. That's greatness. That's greatness. That's greatness. Look at, uh, go to Matthew 23. We just got a couple of stops left. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Don't get mad at me when we read Matthew 23. I did not write Matthew 23. Jesus spoke Matthew 23. So if you think I've been any mean-spirited today, or I've been a little bit sharp at all today, a little too sarcastic here today, you take it up with Jesus Christ because he's going to give the Pharisees and the religious people of his day such a tongue-lashing, it's going to make me look like a Girl Scout. Right? Such a tongue... There's some rough Girl Scouts, I know, but it's going, to make, it's going to make anything I've ever said look like the sweetest thing that could be said. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying... The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, you know, those things on their garments that you could see, and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms of fe- at feast. They like the high chairs because they're spiritual babies. I would say they like the high chairs, right? They like those high chairs. You know who liked the high chair too? Lucifer. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. They just follow an old split foot. 
and greetings in the markets and to be called and chief seats, I should, verse six, and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called the men, rabbi, rabbi, but be not ye called rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Listen, let us never get so high on our horse that we won't stoop to wash each other's feet. That's the spirit of religion. Let us never become religious. Let us never become like Pharisees like that. When somebody crawls in here broken and wounded, let us never turn our nose up at them. Because Jesus Christ wouldn't. But the Pharisees did. Let us never become like, can we just make a deal never to become like that? Let's just never become like that. Let's just never do that. Right? It's wicked. It's evil. It makes God sick. It makes God sick more than the adulterer, more than the fornicator, more than the drug addict. You know, when those people come in here desperate and needy, guess what? We should be bending over backwards to help them. And only a Pharisee would turn a nose up at them. That's what Jesus said. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. I'm glad I have a Savior that was a friend of publicans and sinners. Now, if you want to keep being an idiot, then I might have to rebuke you. But if you're willing to get help, we should be bending over backwards to help people. Because that's what the Savior did. That's the Savior's spirit there. And it doesn't mean you can't call your father dad. Okay? It means in a religious context, you shouldn't be calling anybody father. Or master or rabbi. Because there's only one that deserves those titles. Verse 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Let us never get so high in our horse we won't stoop to wash each other's feet. And verse 11, let us never get forget that the Most High God is great because he came down. He said, hey, you want to see the greatest? He's going to make himself the lowest. And Jesus Christ is the great high priest because he made himself the lowest of all. There's nobody that went any lower for sinners like you and me. See verse 9 and 10? Verse 9 and 10, religion puffs you up. It puffs the person up. It makes them feel important. Kind of gives them an inflated sense of ego. But the risen Lord, he picks you up. One is selfish. The other one's totally selfless. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Just turn to the left a little bit. You know, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. I'll give you a little lesson. All right? Sympathy is feeling bad for you from afar. Oh, I just, I'm so sorry to hear that. I feel so bad for you. Right? That's, that's, it's human, right? That's sympathy. And religion can put on a good sympathy line. Oh, my son. Oh, my peace be unto you, my child. Right? Empathy is feeling bad with you in your place. Saying, ooh, I know that pain. I feel that pain. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister. Right? Sympathy is from afar. There's a distance there. And sometimes that's all you can do is sympathize, right? Because you're going to go through things that other people haven't gone through. So you, you feel that pity and that sympathy. But empathy is when you've been there and done that, and somebody else is being in there and doing that. When you say, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. I'm sorry to hear that, sister. It rings a little different when there's empathy. So recently on CJ's last day of chemo on Friday, we meet this couple whose 17-year-old son recently got cancer in June, like I said. And when talking to the wife, the mom said, you know, my husband cries all the time. And I tell him he's got to pull himself together. I said, Sarah, I understand exactly what he means. And the, father, the husband came a little late. I got to meet him. I said, listen, man, I shook his hand. I looked in his eyes, and he looked in my eyes, and I said, I know exactly why you're crying. I told Chris I wasn't going to make any more chemo illustrations after finished chemo, but there's just it's part of who I am now. So you're going to have to live with them. Amen. And that was an illustration to me. I said, listen, man, he, I saw his eyes well up and my eyes welled up, and I said, I know what you, I understand, man. You got to let it out. You got to let it out. I know it's your boy. That's your son. That's your strength. That's your arm. I get it. See, maybe five years ago, I would have sympathy for that person. It would have been genuine. I would have felt really bad for him. But on Friday, I felt bad with him. Because that's empathy. Because I've been there. And when Jesus Christ has touched 
been touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He doesn't just feel sympathy for you from far away up on that mountain. He feels empathy because he's with you in trouble, Psalm 91 says. And in Matthew 17, look what happens here in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Whoa, what a, what a picture of Jesus. That's, that's what he looks like now. That's a preview of what he looks like now. If you could see Jesus Christ right now, it would burn your retinas out. It would melt the skin off your face. Unless God does something to your body and gives you a brand new one, you can't stand in his presence. It's like being in the presence of a thousand suns. The energy would just melt the skin off your bones. And that's what he really looks like. If you got a glimpse of that, you know what you'd do? You'd do what Peter, James, and John did. You'd hit the deck. They hit the deck. They had walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. When they saw him like that, they're like, oh, they hit the deck. They were scared for their lives. Verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, meaning the voice of God the Father, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. They're shivering, they're chattering, their teeth are jumping, their knees are knocking. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. You know what that tells me? We don't need to be afraid because our high priest reached out and touched us. As high as he is, as glorious as he is, as far apart as we think he is, we feel afraid. Like, where are you, Jesus? Where are you, God? Where are you? I need you. I know you're up there on that mountain. I know you're so high and lifted up and exalted and your train fills the temple, but I need a little help right now. And when you're down there praying that prayer, you know what he does? He puts his hand on your shoulder and says, I'm right here. And it says in verse 8, it was Jesus on that mountain. Notice God uses the earthly name, the Son of God who came down and became a man. It wasn't the Alpha and the Omega on that mountain. It wasn't you know, God on that mountain. It wasn't the, the first and the last on that mountain. It says it was Jesus, Amen. the one who felt the infirmities, the one who was God manifest in the flesh. The words and the names of Jesus are very important. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Aren't you glad you got a priest like that? When I was struggling before I got saved, I went back to the Monsignori. I went back to them and I poured my heart out to them. I said, I, I, I'm afraid to die. I don't know how do you get to heaven. You know what they did? They, they laughed at me. They kind of just chuckled and kind of like, oh, this, this young, deluded dingbat, you know. That's how they made me feel anyway. My high priest gets right there in the mix with me. And um, no other religion has a savior who came down. No other religion, not Brahma, not Zoroaster, not, not, not Buddha, nobody came down and actually became a man to experience what a man experienced. And that's why everybody else is living in fear. Because they don't know if their God really cares. They don't know if that Shiva, Brahma, all these different, those 33 million gods of the Hindu pantheon, do they really care about me on planet Earth in 2023 when my life's been spinning on the spin cycle for too long? Right, but I got a Savior who came down. I know he came down. I don't have to be afraid because he came down to be touched with the feeling of my infirmities. Revelation 1.12 John gets another glimpse. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed the garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, kind of like Matthew 17. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Ooh, they look right through you. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance, his face, his look was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. That's John. John had leaned on his breast at supper. 
John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, but when he saw him as he truly is, he just fell down like Peter and James did on the mountain with him that day, just horrified and afraid. And what does Jesus Christ answer? He comes over there and he puts his right hand on him. He touches him. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. Dear brethren, I know he's up there, but don't be afraid. And don't ever forget that he's right here. He's a very present help in trouble. And when you're going through it and you're afraid for your life, you don't know what's going on, call upon him in the day of trouble. He says, I will deliver thee. He'll bring that hand and touch your life and say, hey, don't be afraid, son. I'm here. It's me. It's Jesus, the one who became a man. And if Jesus Christ is your great high priest, say amen. amen. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Doesn't mean you won't be afraid anymore. Doesn't mean those feelings and those thoughts and those sensations won't run through your mind and run through your body. You can have those thoughts, but those thoughts don't have to have you. Because you could just realize, all right, I'm thinking this way, I'm feeling this way, okay, but let me remind myself, I've got this great high priest that's in control of my life. If I surrender to him, he'll never lead me astray. He's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now we talk about Horatio G. Spafford. Let's go to Hebrews 4. We'll finish there in Hebrews 4 where we started. But listen, we sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And many times we've told the story of Horatio G. Spafford, the author of that great hymn, 256 in our hymnal. Horatio G. Spafford was a successful attorney, real estate investor, who knew some things about fear who knew some things about his life being spinning out of control, who knew some things about wondering if God really cared as high as he was would he condescend to a man of low estate like me. He said, how, how did Horatio G. Spafford know those things? Well, 1871, he lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire. See, oh, that's only money. Okay. Around the same time, he lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And then two years later, he thinks it would be good for his family to take a holiday, go on vacation, and he loses four daughters to the icy North Atlantic. You think he was wondering, God, where are you? You think he had cause to maybe once in a while pause and go, does Jesus care? <laughs> Lord, you know, I'm trying to serve you, and I'm losing money, and I lost my son, and I try to get away for a little bit to kind of get a little refreshing with my family, and my daughters and my wife's ship hits another ship, and... All my four girls are buried in the North Atlantic. Gets that telegram, right? Saved, alone. And it's out of that broken heart, he must have leaned on his high priest. I'm sure in nights of sleeplessness and agony, the Savior must have come down and put his hand on his shoulder and said, fear not. It's me. Be not afraid. Because he writes, though Satan should buffet, Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. In that hour of need and helplessness and despair, he realized that his most high God came all the way down to die for him. And when you are brought low, the only solace you may have is that you have a great high priest that it was brought even lower for you. That's why he's great. And somebody said this, prayer is how we press our hands into the invisible and find the hands of Christ reaching back. Prayer is how we reach for the invisible and realize that our great high priest is always reaching back. In Hebrews 4.14, what do we do with this? Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. If there's nobody higher than Jesus Christ, let us never stop appealing to our great high priest. Let us never stop professing our need for him. Let us never stop calling upon him. Let us be like David. Let us say, I will call upon you as long as I live. Let's be careful for nothing. If he is seated at the Father's right hand, you're going to go to me? I can't help you, but he can help you. So if he's up there, let's keep 
praying. Let's keep beseeching. Let's pray more. Let's seek him more. Let's ask for more of his power, more of his grace. Let us hold fast our profession if we believe he's the son of God at the Father's right hand. And then in 15 it says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but it is all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Conclusion, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If no one stooped any lower than Jesus Christ, let us come boldly to his throne for help. Because he's the highest, let's keep professing him. Because he went lower than anybody else went, we could storm the throne anytime we need him. That's the application. And like those disciples in the upper room, if you're going to serve God in a hostile world, you need to know your captain up in headquarters has all the power because he's the most high and all the pity because he went the lowest to direct your steps every time you call upon him. That's what disciples need to remember. That's what Jesus Christ was telling them. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it because I am your great high priest. Let's bow our heads.